This week's episode is brought to you by Rafa Custom with a call to all cyclists to start designing your dream kit. With Rafa Custom, you can personalize any of Rafa's highly technical race-ready garments for your local club or your next sportive. And there are two ways to create your dream kit. Use their intuitive online tool to create a kit fast with a broad range of layouts, logos, and colors to form the building blocks of a design that is uniquely yours. Alternatively, for absolute creative freedom, you can work offline with help from Rafa's team of world-class designers who will assist you every step of the way. Either way, you'll be creating clothing that has been tested at the top level of the sport from gravel grinders to grand tours. Rafa Custom Garments are the choice of all of Rafa's professional athletes and the envy of their rivals. And with the likes of Justin Williams and his Legion of Los Angeles teammates, plus a host of other squads around the world already on the books, you'll be riding in good company with Rafa Custom. Visit rafa.cc forward slash custom to start designing your dream kit today. Hello, VeloNews listeners. This is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at VeloNews, coming at you with another VeloNews tech podcast. And we are deep in the throes of the final week of the Tour de France. Uh, This episode doesn't go live until after the tour ends. So you already know, future people, what has happened. (laughs) We're still in the dark. Um, But with with only a few days of racing left, uh, you know, there's there's been plenty of tech to talk about. And there's been just so much about tires and wheels. And and uh, recently I spotted uh, some some interesting wheels under Richard Carapaz at a recent uh, rest day. And that's uh, Princeton Carbon Works. Uh, they're wavy wheels. I mean, you guys have probably seen those. Uh, and and I, I got interested in what exactly uh, Princeton Carbon Works does differently that has the pros' attention. And I've, I've ridden a couple Princeton wheel sets at this point, and I just recently reviewed one. So I thought it was probably time to get in touch with the, fo- the folks at uh, Princeton to talk about their wheels and what makes them different uh, and why, why they're starting to garner some attention among the pros. So on the phone today... Uh, all the way from my my homeland of Connecticut is uh, Harrison Macris, the CEO and co-founder of Princeton Carbon Works. Harrison, how's it going? Hi, Dan. Thank, Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. I know it's uh, it's busy times times for you guys, uh, and uh, certainly for us with the with the tour going on. There's just so much happening all at once. Um, but I wanted to talk to you guys about your wheels because they are pretty unique, um, and it's easy to conflate them with a, uh, another major wheel brand, um, but you guys are pretty different. So I actually want to tackle that as well today. So um, let's start real basic. For those of you who are not familiar with Princeton Carbon Works, um, the wheels are pretty notable because of their shape. Uh, they've kind of got a wavy look to them uh, that's a sinusoidal pattern. Um, and a lot of people uh, kind of conflate them with Zips uh, wheels, the 454 NSWs, which have that sawtooth pattern. So I want to talk today about your wheels in particular and how they're different from that. Um, and we'll start basic. Uh, the, the Princeton Carbon Works wheels feature a sinusoidal pattern. What is a sinusoidal shape? Right. So it's, that's a good starting point. Um, the shape of the wheel was basically, as far as, you know, basics in terms of sine, we have a varying edge, right? So if you think of a sine wave, think back to your geometry classes or trigonometry, learning triangles and circles. A sine wave is a very naturally occurring shape, mm-hmm. right? So if you think of a circle and you go around that circle, the sine wave can be interpreted as sort of the the, I guess, distance vertically around the circle as you move around it in a clockwise or counterclockwise way mm-hmm. from the center point, something like that. But the great thing about sine waves is they occur everywhere in nature. Uh, 
everything is very much garnered by sine waves. So mm. the tides, the rising tides, tide comes in, you have slack tides, so that would be the top of the wave. Tide goes out, you have low tide, um, and that would be the other side of the wave. Same with you know alternating current power in the wall, sine wave. Mm-hmm. So a sine wave is a very naturally occurring shape. It's all based on math and geometry. And, um, it was an interesting starting point for us mm-hmm. because we knew that when it came down to aerodynamics, the trailing edge of a body was very important. Mm-hmm. And we were we were taught early on in basic fluid dynamics classes that the trailing edge sort of dictates a lot of the behavior because that's where the flow around the body is resolved. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to resolve the flow path around the right. trailing edge of the body. So you may have seen you know an F-117 stealth fighter with a sawtooth trailing edge of the wing. Mm-hmm. And you may have seen other sort of varying edges at the ends of things mm-hmm. because aerodynamicists are always trying to resolve flow. Yeah. Now I, I by no means am a PhD aerodynamicist. Mm-hmm. I studied mechanical engineering. I had a concentration in fluid dynamics. So I did a lot of classes with some advanced fluid dynamics classes with some very, very smart professors. Mm-hmm. And I was always interested in the application of all of these theoretical concepts that we were taught in school and university, applying them to the real world. How can we take all of these highly complex math problems, Mm -hmm. which is what they essentially are, and apply them to real world products and solutions. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how we got to, how we got to here. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's one anecdote that I tell people and it's really basic. It's really simple, but it's pretty powerful. Um, Where I went to school in Boston we had these tall buildings and in between the buildings, there was a big alleyway Mm -hmm. and the buildings kind of created this corridor. And in the Boston winters, you'd get these whipping winds that would whip down these buildings and they would get funneled into these alleyway corridors. Mm -hmm. And in Boston, they don't really want kids driving up and down these alleyways. So they would put, um, I guess they're like those parking, uh, gates, like the gateways that go down. So imagine like a long, tube like a cylinder Uh that would be down and then if you had a pass it would raise up and one of our professors took us over one day and he he was teaching us some stuff about you know resolving flow around the trailing edge of the body goes go down and look at that pole as the wind whips around it the pole would start vibrating yeah oscillating and it would shake up and down and the reason for that is the flow would create these sort of negative pressure vortices around the trailing edge of the body Mm -hmm. but it was never regular. It was never perfectly, you know, half and half, one side on the top, one side on the bottom. Mm -hmm. These vortices would sort of start flip-flopping. And in order to resolve the flow, you'd get maybe a little bit more pressure on the top than the bottom. And then it would flip and you'd get a little more pressure on the bottom than the top. And that created that vibration of the pole. And it would Mm -hmm. sit there and it would vibrate violently. Yeah, yeah. You'd, You'd reach certain speeds where you'd find an oscillation and the thing would vibrate very, very violently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a really powerful experience just to see it and have it be explained, you know, as a 19 year old kid, he was like, this is what happens when the flow around a trailing body is not resolved mm-hmm. smoothly. Mm-hmm. You get crazy stuff happening with vortices and, you know, different pressure differentials. So that, that was part of what we knew going into this was resolving the flow on the trailing edge of the body mm-hmm. at the front of the wheel. Mm-hmm. So when I say trailing edge, I mean the carbon essentially where you transition from the wheel to the open space between the rim 
and the hub mm-hmm. where the spokes would be. Right, right. The, the leading edge of the wheel system is the tip of the tire. Right. right. The front tip of the tire moving forward is what we would call the leading edge of the front half of the wheel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you get behind, when you get to the back half of the wheel, now the, the trailing edge becomes the leading edge because mm-hmm. you're behind the hub. Sure, you know? sure. So it's a little confusing, but for our purposes, the majority of where we saw aerodynamic gains were basically the top, you know, the top third of the wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if you go from noon or yeah, 12 o'clock mm-hmm. being the top of the wheel down to probably four o'clock. Okay. okay. That top third quadrant uh-huh. is where we saw the most, uh, area for gain mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that, that we were really focused on the, the trailing edge of the body mm-hmm, up there. Mm-hmm. So the, the sinusoidal rim shape, those, those lumps essentially in the rim are, are basically to reduce, um, drag, uh, it, which is created by the airflow, uh, the result, yeah. the result is a reduced drag. Uh-huh. That's the result in part of it but what they're doing is you're not allowing basically trends to form because the trailing edge of the body is always changing Uh the flow can never create these sort of trends so you never have the opportunity for the flow to even start that oscillatory sort of harmonic or vibration Mm -hmm. or, or pressure differentials or vortices swapping back and forth we're preventing that from even becoming an issue gotcha, gotcha by having the trailing edge of the body continuously changing uh-huh uh-huh yeah so that's that's the interesting thing here to keep in mind is and i'm going to forgive you for a second for making me have to go back to my high school geometry class which i hated um <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a little traumatizing for me um one of the things to keep in mind here is that yeah the the wheel moves <laughs> and so the the shape uh is is unique in that sense that the wheel shape is constantly moving as well um and that's that's part of the advantage of the sinusoidal shape right is that um you're you're eliminating uh the possibility of or at least reducing the possibility of those those vortices forming um and, and causing drag is that correct yeah, and, and it's not that they're not forming. It's that they're not forming as violently yeah. as they were. were. We're trying to resolve the flow. We're trying to keep the flow on the body mm-hmm. and resolve it around the body yeah. so that you don't get these violent vortices that are shedding off the body and then creating these huge disturbances. So okay. you're still going to get it yeah. no matter what happens. You're still going to get it. But right. we're just trying to resolve it better. Sure, gotcha. Um, and so what what does that mean for the rider? I mean, you know, if I'm riding you know, on a normal ride, that's not super blustery. Um, what do I get from that, from the, the sinusoidal shape? I mean, what is that exactly doing for me? Um, both, you know, in terms of, uh, reducing, reducing that drag and also the, you know, the stability of the wheel. Right. So there's a ton of, there's a ton of direct benefits to the rider. However, we didn't go into the project purely seeking an aerodynamic game. Uh We went into this project looking to make a better wheel completely. So we kind of took a holistic approach to this where we said, what are the areas where we could find improvement? One, aerodynamics, sure. Two, stiffness and strength. Mm -hmm. Uh, Three would be stability. Um, And and four would be weight. 
right? Uh-huh. We, wanted, we wanted to really figure out how to optimize those four parameters. So we weren't focusing on a single parameter. We were focusing on all four of those. Mm-hmm. And the result, if you could sort of, uh, you know, we used to play these race car games when we were a kid and you'd have all these different parameters for your car and you wanted the, the circle. Mm-hmm. They, they still, I think they still do this in car and driver where they have the, the circle and all the, you know, the, the costs and the zero to 60 and the quarter mile. And you wanted that, the circle area to be the biggest uh-huh. because you knew you were trying to maximize all your parameters. If sure. that makes sense. Sure. It's hard to, hard to describe something visually on a <laughs> podcast. So I apologize for anyone that's like thinking I'm crazy. It's but fun. It's we fun were, to watch you struggle with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were trying to optimize all of those things yeah. because we knew the end result would be the best product that would be the fastest underneath the rider because straight line speed, aerodynamic speed doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have the fastest product. You have to be comfortable and you have to be confident. Mm -hmm. Confidence has a huge thing on how fast you go on a bike, right? Everyone knows that you have to be a confident rider. You have to be super comfortable. You have to be stable. And then you can extract all these benefits Mm -hmm. only once you get there. So you can make a crazy fast wheel, but can't ride it. Mm -hmm. It's, it, it would be very uncomfortable if you made something that was not stable. So there were a number of benefits as a result of the shape. It wasn't just that we were hunting aerodynamic gains. Uh We were actually trying to make a better wheel Mm -hmm. in totality rather than just trying to define one thing that we were trying to to hit at. Sure. Now, and and when did that start? I mean, when did that, I mean, you said you started uh, sort of learning about this, uh, this notion of, of, um, you know, the, the, the vibration in that, that, you know, parking pole from Boston. Um, I mean, what, when are we talking about that translating into you saying we can make a better wheel? I mean, what, give me the time frame. It's yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting story. And this is the, the part of the business that I find really fascinating is how all these individuals came together, but it was back in 2010. Okay. I was still, I was still in college at the time Uh and in college I was a rower. Mm-hmm. I went to Boston University. I was a Division One rower. I got invited to a U.S. national team under twenty three selection camp. Mm-hmm. The Jews we have an under twenty three rowing team, mm-hmm. and at that camp, I met another engineer, and his name was Brad Wurns. He's still involved with the company. He's one of the co founders, and Brad was studying engineering at Princeton. Mm-hmm. He was an aerospace and mechanical engineering mm-hmm. uh, major at Princeton, and you know, we immediately hit it off and we became very fast friends. And Brad came to me because I had started, once I had graduated college, I had started my company, Macros Industries. We do engineering, design, you know, machine work, mm-hmm. assemble all sorts of random stuff. And he said, Hey, you're good with design and engineering and actually making things. Mm-hmm. He goes, I need to introduce you to my rowing coach from Princeton. He wants to start a wheel company. And that was Marty Crotty. Mm-hmm. Marty is the head lightweight rower at Princeton. Okay. So we were all outside of the industry. Yeah. We, we knew nothing about cycling. They, we were all rowers. They would put us on bikes and we'd go on training rides. We were 210 pounds and we were just like, you know, literal Clydesdales, just cranking out watts on a sure, bike at the sure. training ride. Yeah. We didn't know anything about cycling. Yeah. Marty, however, the older you get, uh, the more you sort of distance yourself from the sport of rowing because your back <laughs> just becomes, you know, you can't do it. So yeah. Marty had gotten into triathlon and he was around carbon fiber boats and oars every day. 
But he said, why can't we make a carbon fiber wheel? You know, we can build boats, we build oars, we're, we're sitting in carbon fiber every day we go rowing. Why can't we make a wheel? Mm-hmm. So Marty and I got introduced via Brad and he said, can you help me design a wheel? And I believe it was in 2013 that I was still living in Boston and Brad had just moved to Boston. He was living in Cambridge. Um, and we sat down at his kitchen table and started sketching ideas. And we knew that trailing edge aerodynamics were very important. Mm-hmm. And that was the first sketch of this sort of weird looking shape. Yeah. Yeah. In so, 2013. so that was uh, a good three years before zip came out with their, uh, NSW wheels. Um, and then, you know, I, I would imagine because Zip has a wider reach than you guys did at the time uh, when their wheels launched. Were you guys already in production by that time, uh, by the time Zip came out with their, their wheels in 2016? You know, I don't, I don't know exactly the, the Zip timeline. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I haven't, I haven't kept them like very, we try not to worry about anyone else. We try to just work on our stuff, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. it was in twenty. 15 that we had our first rolling production wheels. Okay. Okay. So we got those wheels. Uh, I believe it was June, 2015. We had the tooling finished and by, you know, the third or fourth quarter of 2015, we were riding wheels. Okay. So and they were really cool. Exciting. The first ones were really cool. Yeah. So that's a good year before zip. Uh, launched their 454 NSW. So we're going to take a quick break here, but when we get back, um, Harrison, I'd love to know, uh, you know, the differences between uh, Princeton's uh, wheel shape and, and rim shape and that of the zip, because I think, you know, it's easy to look at the lumps on both wheels and say, oh, that's the same concept, uh, the same thing. Uh, but I think there's differences, and I'd, I'd love to hear your take on, on what the difference is between Princeton's wheels and, and something like Zip's uh, sawtooth uh, pattern. But uh, just for a moment, we're going to take a quick breather, and we'll be back in just a moment. This week's episode is brought to you by Rafa Custom with a call to all cyclists to start designing your dream kit. With Rafa Custom, you can personalize any of Rafa's highly technical race-ready garments, and there are two ways to create your dream kit. Use their intuitive online tool to create a kit fast, or for absolute creative freedom, work offline with help from Rafa's team of world-class designers. Either way, you'll be creating clothing that has been tested at the top level of the sport from gravel grinders to grand tours. Visit rafa.cc forward slash custom to start designing designing your dream kit today. All right, we're back with uh, Harrison Macros from Princeton Carbon Works, and we're talking about the uh, the wheels, the sinusoidal rim shape that uh, that has made uh, Princeton Carbon Works so noticeable and, and notable. Um, Harrison, I want to get at the, you know, I, I don't even know if you guys would consider Zip your direct competition here, but Zip is one of the, the bigger names in the wheel world, and they have something that's, that looks similar to your pattern, but is, is actually quite different. Um, can you talk a little bit about how Princeton's sinusoidal shape is different from the zip rim shape? Yeah, sure. I mean, the big thing with us, like I said, is, is we were industry outsiders. Yeah. I didn't know a single thing about the cycling industry. Yeah. And when we jumped into this, you know, we, we were naive, we were young, we didn't know anything about anything. Uh, and we probably still don't, right? <laughs> you yeah. Have to say, you, guys, you guys don't know what you're talking about. So right. everyone's got everyone's got their own opinion, and everyone's entitled to it, which is great. 
Um, in, in our digging, we found a lot of a lot of wheels that had attempted this varying shape before mm-hmm. um, in, to different degrees, right? And what we found is the, the special sauce really lies in in how how we shaped it, right? So I, I can't speak very fluently on the shape of the zip, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I've never held one. I've never seen one really up close. They're obviously very expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, we don't have, it's not like we buy other brands wheels and like bring them in and dissect them because we kind of operate in our little vacuum. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Our job is to to make the best product for the best cyclists. Mm-hmm. And that's really like that's our mantra. It's like how do we make a better product? Mm-hmm. So to be honest I know that their shape may look similar. You know, I don't live in a hole where you know, I've seen <laughs> pictures on Instagram, you know, they're everywhere. So yeah, yeah. I've seen the four, five, four. I think we just accomplished different things, mm-hmm. right? Our goal, like I said earlier on, we, we took a very holistic approach to this where we wanted to do a lot of things. Zip, I believe has made claims of crosswind stability, but I don't think there have been any direct studies, numbers, tests done, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe there's wind tunnel tests out there for a 454, um, but that doesn't preclude it from anything, obviously, anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think their whole thing was they wanted to, to focus on stability, which mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we were trying to make the best wheel we could. Mm-hmm. And we kind of have this no matter what approach, like no matter what we want to make the best wheel, cost no object. Mm-hmm. So we don't pinch pennies on certain stuff. We try to use the best materials. We try to use the best stuff. But again, of course, I'm going to say our shape is is very good mm-hmm. because we've spent you know the better part of seven years working on this, and we're tweaking it constantly. We're always making the shape different. We're always learning and getting feedback from riders and getting feedback from testing mm-hmm. and applying that all. So the wheel from 2013 until 2020. And into 2021 now, we're already working on 2021. Uh, the wheel has changed considerably. Mm-hmm. It looked very much the same, but the shape has actually changed an incredible amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far as the zip wheel is concerned, I, I feel bad because I can't say a ton about it. <laughs> sure. I, wish, I wish I had one I could hold and, and play with and look at, yeah. uh, but I don't. Yeah. yeah. And there are certain things that as an engineer – and knowing what I do know about fluid dynamics, I would not agree with. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that don't add up in my mind mm-hmm. when it comes to looking at that shape. But again, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, mm-hmm. and people seem to love that wheel, so that's great. If people love it, that's really great. There's there's so many varying depth wheels that are now coming to the surface. You look at you know an old Mavic wheel, an old Mavic Serium had a varying depth. You know, they had a thicker and thinner section. Yep. Um, and newer wheels like the Quai, which is a very small sort of unknown brand, but you know, Quai Isos, they're, they have a varying depth. Uh-huh. There, there's a million ways to skin a cat, but I think at the end of the day, our well-rounded approach to it made the best product. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and, and that's really the, the most I can say about it, unfortunately. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to note too that you know. I, Wheels are are a three-dimensional product, and I think that's important to remember because there's a lot of uh, forces hitting it from different angles. And so your approach to making the the best wheel possible, right, that involves, yes, the the leading edge and the trailing edge, but 
cyclists don't always just experience uh, winds from straight on. In fact, it's pretty rare uh, for, for a cyclist to just hit winds from straight on. So, you know, I've ridden both the Zip 454 NSW and uh, two different of uh, Princeton Carbon Works wheels. And, you know, I, I don't know, this is, wasn't your, your major goal, but uh, one of the things that I did notice was that they're incredibly stable in crosswinds. And so are the zips. I mean, I think there is something to that. Um, you know, so I think for me anyway, uh, the big takeaway has been that, you know, these, these rim shapes varying uh, address winds from a, a lot of different yaw angles. Uh, sure. And that's, that's notable for starters. Um, when I first rode the, uh, the Princeton, the, the, the wake 65 sixties, um, those, I, I, until I had, until I had ridden those, I hadn't found another wheel beside the zip four five four that performed as, as good, uh, in those crosswinds. Um, so in that sense, you know, the, the, the Princeton's are, are right on par, uh, with the best crosswind stability I've, I've experienced, but you guys are less expensive. Um, and I will say you guys have better hubs. <laughs> you guys are using the white industries hubs. Um, sure which I think is, is a great, uh, addition to your wheel lineup. Um, but you know, up close having, like I said, having ridden both the, the zip and your wheel, the shape looks nothing alike up close. Um, right. and so to me, it's, it's interesting that, um, you know, both you and zip arrived at a, a wheel that is incredibly stable in crosswinds with a different shape. Um, to me that indicates that, you know, and, and I've talked to a gazillion aerodynamicists at this point who have, all said the same thing, you know, the, the way the, 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 uh, the flow separates from the rim is vital to stability and speed. And I think to me, um, I, I am not an aerodynamicist. <laughs> I'm a guy that rides a lot of bikes and, and wheels and such. And, um, you know, for me, it's a lot of it is about feel. And the reason I'm talking to you today is because, um, the the Princeton wheels with this unique pattern seems to offer a combination that matters to cyclists. Uh, you know the the crosswinds, the speed. Um, you know I saw these wheels first and I was like, oh man, the, like you know the same the same reaction I had with the zip. Here we like, go again. Yeah, it's like a gimmick and blah blah blah. Yeah. Uh, and I and I can't say that anymore because quite frankly, right. there is an actual tangible benefit to the ride quality. Um, that I think is, well, is... there's a, there's a lot of things going on too. additional from just the aerodynamics right. of the wheel. If, if you look at, you know, a strand of carbon fiber, it, it's a fiber, mm -hmm. right? It, think of it like rope, yeah. right? It's tiny, tiny bits of rope embedded in plastic. Mm -hmm. And the direction of the rope is the direction that you gain your strength. So if all your fibers are lying in one direction, you can pull on that rope and it's very strong. If you push on that rope, it's not strong at all. Right. Right. So that's why you'll see a lot of weaves being used in things that are experiencing stresses and forces from various angles. Mm -hmm. So you'll use a woven carbon fiber where you need sort of unidirectional strength. Mm -hmm. If you have compressive and tensile forces. Mm -hmm. Now, what's funny is in a wheel, you have a lot of tensile force at each spoke, mm -hmm. right? The spokes are under quite a bit of tension. Yeah. And if you look at a regular wheel, regular wheel has a concave surface where the spoke attaches to the rim. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a concavity. 
if you look at a PCW wheel, we actually have a convex point. We only attach spokes at the convex or the max depth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you think about basically a rope that is concave and then you pull from that node, from that center point, the rope resolves into a convex shape mm -hmm. when you're pulling on. So imagine the spoke pulling on something that's concave. It's going to want to, to flip. Yeah. Right. It's going to want to become convex. Sure. So what's interesting at that point is we're putting the carbon everywhere where it's getting pulled on by a spoke under very high tension. Mm -hmm. We're putting the carbon um, in tension, mm -hmm. not in compression. Mm -hmm. So we're pulling on the rope rather than pushing on the rope. Sure, sure. So the result of that is mechanically we have a much more stable system. The carbon where it's getting pulled on mm -hmm. is in a more natural state. So it's a lot more stable. It's a lot more... I guess I could use the term relax, mm -hmm. right? The, the system is a little bit more relaxed. It's a little bit more at ease. Sure. The result of that now is we get a stronger overall shape. Mm -hmm. So for the amount of weight, we have a much stronger shape. So we can then remove weight to, to balance the system again. Again, with this holistic thing we keep talking about, we can remove weight from certain parts of the layup. Mm -hmm. To balance the system more and that's how we can get the rim weight pretty low you know we have a, a 65 60 rim uh clincher tubeless ready i think we're getting down around 470 grams wow. for yeah. the rim, uh -huh. which is is fairly light and we're not even pushing it right. that's being very very conservative with layup sure um the other thing that I was very adamant about is I said, why are we drilling all these holes in the tire bed? <laughs> Everyone says, oh, well, we got to service the wheel. You blow a spoke, you got to service the wheel. I said, listen, I, I don't want to say this only because it's going to sound really bad saying it, but like <laughs> serviceability is not our number one concern. Mm -hmm. Our number one concern is making the best wheel. Right, right. And if making the best wheel means you lose a little bit of serviceability because we're getting rid of all those massive holes that we're punching in the tire bed, then so be it. Uh, we actually have a very good service program where if you do need service to your wheel, we end up just overnighting you a replacement. We take your wheel back hmm. and we'll fix whatever's wrong with it. If it needs a spoke, if it needs whatever, we handle all that. So sure. that's sort of how we bridge that because I know that's always a concern uh, with general public riders who are not on pro teams with mm -hmm. staff and service corps. Um, so we've bridged that that way. But we did, I was very adamant about removing the nipple holes in the tire bed mm -hmm. because when you look at hoop stress, they teach you a lot about hoop stress in school too. But in just looking at a wheel, I said, you know, the maximum stress of this whole system is at the outer, uh, outer diameter of this hoop. Mm -hmm. We want that to be strong where the tire and the rim sort of mate. There's a lot of stresses there. Yeah. The tire exerting a lot of stress on the, on the wheel. So we wanted that to be very, very strong. And I said, punching holes in carbon is like the number one thing you can do to weaken it. Yeah, yeah. Right? Just blasting, you know, 16, 18, 24 holes in the rim. And you've lost everything you've spent your time building up. Mm -hmm. So when we actually make our tire bed, our tire bed is unidirectional yeah. for the most part. There's, a, there's probably one or two layers of a, a weave for toughness. But sure. for the most part, it's a unidirectional hoop. Yeah. wrapped around that wheel so we get maximum strength on the outer diameter of the wheel mm -hmm. uh, because we aren't blasting all these holes in the tire bed we can also now make the tire bed a little bit thinner mm -hmm. so again we're moving material we're only putting material where it needs to be 
for the job it needs to be doing. Sure. I'm curious, just this, you may not have the answer to this off the top of your head, but you know, uh, you're absolutely right that drilling holes in carbon is is not a great idea. And I think other wheel manufacturers have also arrived at that conclusion or or are coming to that conclusion now. Um, But I also think, you know, one of the advantages of that is it does cut out a lot of material. And so I think that's where a lot of wheel manufacturers can claim weight savings. Um, you know, you if if you went to a continuous weave around the 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 bed, um, the spoke bed, um, you had to take material out somewhere else uh, to to shave that weight. Yes. Well, it's not that we had to take material out because we didn't have to use as much to uh-huh. get the same to get the same strength. Because gotcha. when you're yes, you're drilling holes in the tire bed, you're removing material, you're removing weight, but you're also compromising some stiffness. The strength, yeah. You're losing some lateral stiffness of the mm-hmm. wheel mm-hmm. because you're removing material. Mm-hmm. So it's not that we had to compromise by removing material to hit a target weight. We didn't have a target weight in mind. Mm-hmm. We were saying, how do we make, again, how do we make the best wheel? It's gotta be light and it's gotta be strong. So. I would say we took sort of a no compromise approach of like, what can we do and how do we use the material in the most thoughtful and forward thinking way? Yeah. Yeah. So we were, we were being very uh, sort of elegant in the way that we were laying up these wheels. You know, we have photos where we were hands on in the factory, laying the carbon ply by ply by ply. Right. And we were, you know, you have a whole layup schedule. Right. And you're counting every single layup, every single piece mm-hmm. of that layup. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we got a lot of pushback mm-hmm. from manufacturers. You guys are, you're, you're too in us. Like you're too here. You're yeah. too. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I'm sorry. Like we have to do this. This yeah. is part of the exercise. Mm-hmm. Like we need to see how the sausage is made. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so and- we very hands on with every part of the manufacturing so to it- make sure that we are hitting those those uh, basically parameters as yeah. far as layup, weight, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really additive or subtractive. It was more like we're going to start from scratch with our own design and see where that of takes course. us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And we've been through, you know, you know, every wheel and every carbon manufacturing cycling industry goes through all these iterations, but we went through just umpteenth iterations of nope, do it over. Nope, do it over. Mm-hmm. We got to, we got to be better. We got to be more consistent. We got to, and it's it's gotten the point where our manufacturer has basically given us an entire section of their factory where it's like <laughs> give these guys their white box and yeah. like put them in the corner and let them do whatever they want. But yeah. we had to we had to separate ourselves out and, and have our own space yeah. in order to take more time and do this the way that we wanted it to be done. Mm-hmm. Where where is your manufacturer, just out of curiosity? So we manufacture in Taiwan. Okay. And we assemble globally. Okay. So we're we're looking at other options. Again, we're never married to one certain thing. Mm-hmm. We have we have manufacturing possibilities in Europe. You yeah, know, there's lots sure. of carbon coming out of Europe, especially from being in the rowing mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. Um, China is very quickly catching up with Taiwan. Mm-hmm. The quality in China is very very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've looked at factories in China, we've looked at factories in Taiwan, we've looked at factories in Europe, and frankly, we've looked at factories in the United States. Mm-hmm. There's there's really great, you know, great work being done in the United States. And I would love eventually to 
bring the product to the United States and have some manufacturing here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and and I, just to just to clarify for a lot of people who are listening, you know that that is not to say that the the manufacturing in Taiwan is bad. In fact, it's quite good. Um, it is. And so I think there's there's sort of a um, I don't know, man. There's just this weird connection people make with like, oh, it's made in Taiwan. It can't be good. It's actually the the manufacturing there for carbon. I'm told is is quite excellent, and they've been doing it for a long time. So. Um, Taiwan does not equal lower quality by any not stretch. Not at all. And, and our, here's the problem was, not problem, but here's just sort of the facts was we couldn't find anyone that could do what we wanted to do yeah. at the time we wanted to do it. So you have to go where it's available yeah, yeah. and go where the expertise lies. So mm-hmm. in North America and the United States, we are very good at building you know, aerospace parts, mm-hmm. you know, Boeing airplanes now are made out of carbon yeah and stuff. like they make beautiful parts spaceships like we can do certain things mm-hmm. however when it comes to uh bike parts there's just this massive hub of intellect mm-hmm. between taichung and taipei and Xiamen in china yeah. that whole basically 200 mile radius there has this massive brain trust of right. people that do this every single day right right so by no means are we saying the quality is worse than Taiwan in the United States. We're just looking for people that know how to do it the best. Yeah. And right now, that's where it's being done. To be honest, that's where it's being done the best. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I think that's a fair point. I mean, you know, one of the considerations I think a lot of companies are coming to now is, um, you know, shipping and the global footprint and, and all that. And I think that's there's something to be said for that. But right now, like you said, I think some of the best carbon in the world is coming out of Taiwan. So there's really this this stigma uh, of, of, you know, Oh, it's Taiwan, Taiwanese. It must be, you know, everybody's making it in Taiwan. It's cheap, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't think that fits the narrative at all. Um, Taiwan is actually coming up with some of the best stuff right now. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully other regions can catch up and, and, you know, we can expand that. But yeah, I think it's important to note that Taiwanese does not equal low quality by any stretch. Um, of course. So, okay. Transitioning off of my little diatribe there, uh, <laughs> I, I spot, I, I emailed you guys, what, about a week ago, a week and a half ago about, um, it was at the re- it was at the last rest day, uh, spotted Richard Carapaz, uh, testing one of your wheels, uh, unbranded, uh, at the tour on a rest day on his <laughs> TT bike. Um, are you guys in talks with any pro teams? Have, I mean, have you garnered any attention from, uh, from teams looking to try out your wheels and their, and their actual sponsored equipment? Yes and no. I mean, we don't have anything official with anybody. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're so small. We have a, you know, there's six guys in the company, and we've got you know four wheel builders. Yeah. That's it. We're yeah. we're a tiny operation. We sure. are nothing compared to the real players in the industry. Obviously, sure. We have gotten a lot of attention from pros who just want to try something different and try something new. And I think that's a lot of the allures. It is something different, and there has been very good results Mm -hmm. on people that have taken a chance to try something from a relatively unknown small you know some may call us fly by night company right like people might think we're just a flash in the pan yeah and and like i said that's not our goal we don't want to just show up and you know create wheels and get in and out of it We're, we're here to really bring sound engineering principles and new technologies to the industry right Mm -hmm. so those riders that have taken a risk by trying something new i think have been rewarded for taking that risk by trying something that is 
overall on the whole a better product. Mm -hmm. But as of now, we have nothing, nothing official with anybody. Mm -hmm. We're just, you know, taking every day as it comes. Sure, sure. Well, it's always exciting to see, you know, you guys getting uh, some attention just on your own merits rather than on the sponsorship or whatever uh, to see pros, you know, attempting to find those gains where they can find them. So that's, that's exciting stuff. Um, is there anything about the sinusoidal rim shape and about Princeton's wheels that we're forgetting uh, for people listening, you know, that you, they should know about your wheels? Should they, you know, if, if they're looking for a wheel that's, you know, fast, it's stable and it's, you know, it's at a good price point. Uh, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a brand I have never heard of and, and I'm, I'm reticent to take the step. Uh, is there, some, is there anything else that, that people need to know about you guys before, before they take the leap? Well, we really just have those four pillars, like the, the tenants of PCW are, you know, strength, arrow, stiff, light, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, and obviously stable, sorry, I, I confused stiff and strength, <laughs> but stiff, stable, arrow, light, right? Mm-hmm. Those are like the four pillars of PCW. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one thing that people should know, maybe they don't know, is that we have pretty much a, a money back guarantee. They can take the wheels, they can test ride them for 30 days. If they don't like them, we send them a label, you know, we cover all the shipping and send them back to us. Mm-hmm. That's it. it. It's very, very low risk to try them out. You just go on the website, buy a set of wheels, you can ride them for up to 30 days. If you think they're trash, mm-hmm. send them back to us. Yeah, you know? sure, sure. Sorry, but we have a very low risk option for testing out the wheels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if if people are interested in trying something new, by all means, you know, reach out. The email is info at princetoncarbon.com. It will be one of either Marty or me yeah. answering your email. Sure. <laughs> so again, that, that's sort of, you know, small business one-on-one is you're going to be talking directly with the group of guys. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We're working on the wheels every single day. We're building wheels every day. We're testing them. We're pushing the limits. Mm-hmm. So again, if, if someone has an interest, just reach out to us, you know, mm-hmm. hit us up on Instagram at Princeton Carbon Works or visit the website, www.princetoncarbon.com. Mm-hmm. Cool. And, you know, for those of you listening, I don't generally endorse products on, on my podcast. Uh, I try to remain as objective as possible, but I've already reviewed two sets of Princeton Carbon Works wheels, and you could read those reviews uh, on VeloNews.com. And so I don't really have any hesitation to say these are really great, great wheels. I mean, I've, I've already written that in the reviews, and that's why I'm talking to Harrison today, uh, because I've been very impressed with, with the wheels. And I think they're, they're notable. Uh, they're worth your time and an investment of money um, should you be looking for, for a stable, fast wheel. Um, so you can, you can catch my review of the Grit. Uh, 4540 wheels, which just went up uh, a few days ago, and the Wake uh, 6560 disc wheels that I tested, I believe, last year. Um, Both have been very impressive. So uh, check those reviews out. And of course, if you have questions about this episode of the Tech Podcast or any of the other uh, podcasts in the Velo News atmosphere, you can always reach out to me, dcavallari at velonews.com. You can also reach me on Instagram and Twitter at browntiedan. And uh, Harrison, thanks for taking the time today to explain uh, a little bit about the science behind your wheels. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, of course, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. And uh, we will uh, catch you guys next time. And if you have uh, any suggestions for topics you'd like me to cover on the Velo News podcast in the future, I would love to hear them. So please do reach out. In the meantime, uh, go enjoy the final weekend of racing at the Tour de France, and uh, we'll catch you next time. 
VeloNews has been the American voice of competitive cycling since 1972, and I'm excited to tell you about our all-new premium membership program, VeloNews Pass. When you join VeloNews Pass, you get instant access to members-only perks you won't find anywhere else, including premium content, your choice of any of our magazines from VeloNews, Triathlete, Ski, Backpacker, and more, and Pro Deals galore. We're giving listeners of the VeloNews Tech Podcast 15% off VeloNews Pass with the code TECH15. Make sure you spell that lowercase. You can sign up at VeloNews.com slash ActivePass and enter the code TECH15 during checkout. That's VeloNews.com slash ActivePass and coupon code TECH15 to start taking advantage of your exclusive benefits today.